Hey, I'm Chris Cooper. I took a 200-word blog and built a $25 million mentorship company from it. It wasn't easy, and I had to learn some huge and expensive lessons along the way. But now I'm sharing those lessons with other business coaches and mentors and high-level entrepreneurs in this podcast. Want to chat with me? Go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there. Hey, this is Business is Good. I'm Chris Cooper. And with me today is Taryn Debril. Taryn is the lead mentor at Perfect Day Business Mentoring uh, out in Saskatchewan. And today we're going to talk a lot about business and uh, advice that she has for different entrepreneurs in a bunch of different companies. Welcome, Taryn. What's up, Coop? Happy to be here. Super Taren, excited. Taryn's also a personal friend and, and we ride bikes together virtually, uh, but we're both facing a lot of snow right now. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so Taryn, we'd love to just start off with your story here. Like, Tell me about what led you to founding a business in the first place and kind of your business journey up to this point. So I went to university in the traditional route, was planning on being an athletic therapist, realized I am not cut out for school, didn't enjoy it whatsoever, went to school to play basketball predominantly. Um, I was lifting weights in the gym one day when I was home for Christmas and this guy and another guy I knew were doing something crazy in the corner, some kind of crazy workout and uh, I approached them. That's kind of how I found CrossFit, fell in love with Hmm. it. Uh, was standing on top of a building one day as the gym was burning down. And so that's kind of like where my story begins. I had no intentions of ever being a business owner. It never crossed my mind whatsoever. Uh, but as this gym was burning down and, you know, I'm from a super small town in Saskatchewan. So when the town gym burns down, <laughs> that is a really big opportunity. And so Hang I was... On. <laughs> you were standing on top of the gym as it was burning down? No, not the gym. A building across. So actually, oh, the the, the person who introduced me to CrossFit, he was a chiropractor and he worked across the street from the mm. gym. So I ended up doing my athletic therapy practicum with him after oh. I convocated. And so, uh, yeah, the two of us were standing on top of this building on the rooftop watching this gym burn down. And I mean, he was just in love with CrossFit as much as I was and turned to me and said, if there's any time to do this, now is the time. Like, and he wow. meant to open a gym and <laughs> being 20 years old at the time. And, you know, an experienced business owner says that to you. And I love to take risks and work on the whim like that. I was like, yeah, sure. I, I don't know what I'm about to get myself into, but this sounds super fun. And, uh, yeah, that was, that conversation was kind of like where my life path changed very quickly. Wow. So nobody found the gas can or the arson tools and then You know what? Happen. The reason for why it burned down is a whole other conversation I probably should not put on the internet. <laughs> well, you and it I... wasn't by accident, so... <laughs> yeah. I'm, you and I over the years have found, uh, met many gym owners who felt like their gym was burning down at the time, but this, this literally happened. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, so we... Started almost the very next week. This was uh, way back in 2009. And, you know, I was fresh out of university and my parents were not on board with this decision. Being very conventional based parents, follow your retirement, you know, do all those things nine to five. So they were definitely not on board with this, but uh, I'm not there to please other people. So I went my (laughs) way and (laughs) started the gym in a little 700 square foot building in a strip mall in the middle of the city city. Mm. I use that term loosely. And it just kind of blew up 
from there, you know, at a very steady pace, I would say. Within the first year, I bought my business partner out and just kind of took it on my own whim. Just two different visions going different ways, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like when it really took off was when I could have full control of like the direction we were going. So we all grew that small place, went into a 5,000 square foot building, and then it just kind of took took off from there. You know, but I say that very loosely from the outside. On the inside, it was a very different story. You know, it looked like a successful business because there was lots of people coming through. But the truth was, like, I was severely underpriced. I had no systems in place. I coached most of the classes. I had staff that kind of filtered in and out. Like, it, it was not on the inside what it appeared on the outside. So that's kind of how my first year, eight years of business all meshed together was just like this. I don't want to say it's a facade on the outside, but you know, it, it, uh, it definitely did not match what was actually happening on the inside. Just to pause there. Do you think this is common in business where the customers and maybe even the staff think it's doing better than it really is? And only the owner maybe knows the truth. Yes, I agree. But I would also almost lump the owner into that smokescreen also sometimes because in my case, like it, you know, I wasn't there to make money. It, I mean, I, I, I knew that I wanted to, but I didn't know how and it barely covered the bills. So like it did what it needed to on a very minimal basis. And, you know, you're, I was young at the time and I had a lot of energy and it all made sense to just pour everything in there. So I was almost as dumb to it, you know, as my clients and the staff would have been also, I would say. So I think there's a point in time where even the owner themselves is part of that smoke screen too. Okay. It just, it sprang to mind because I was speaking to this college level class this week and the, um, the instructor of the class, what do you call him? The professor, she was a client of mine 20 years ago. And I was telling the story of how close to bankruptcy my gym was. And she's like, what? I had no idea. I was one of your clients back then. So it's interesting. I think we're going to dig into that a little bit more as we get into some of these case studies. But I'd love to hear, like, how did you turn that gym around and become successful? And, and what did you learn that you teach other people now? So honestly, the first steps were just getting over myself was that it's okay mm. to ask for help and it's okay to need help, I think, is part of it, too. You know, the COVID lockdowns hit and that put our provinces in a really tough spot. And I knew that almost immediately as they announced it and everything was going under lockdown. So on day two of lockdown was when I reached out and hired a business mentor for myself. And that just like walking in there and knowing that, A, I could not afford this. That like I, there was no way that I could pay that. But I knew that the stuff worked. I trusted, you know, I trusted you and your team. Obviously, it was with Two Brain. And I was just going to do what I was told because I literally had no other choice. And so followed the principles that my business mentor laid out for me. And within like two to two and a half months, the business was completely flipped upside down, like in a positive way. I saw profit levels I have never seen in my life. I, there was money coming through the business that, you know, was a dream on one day. Staff eventually was a thing. Like obviously we're in lockdown. So it was a little bit different story at that point, but you know, I got to learn about systems and implement systems. And now my business was actually functioning like a business should instead of just it being a hobby thing that was something I enjoyed doing and was something I ran on the side. So, you know, it was really turning into something that was making my perfect day a very quick, realistic thing that was about to happen in my life, which is a cool feeling, you know? 
was there ever a point where you believed that being profitable and you know serving people with fitness or whatever were at odds with one another or did you always know that it should be both but you were okay with one and not the other or you know how did that evolve in your head i think because i was young I always say I was young, dumb, and didn't know anything about business ownership. (laughs) One of the very first things I did when I first opened the business was trying to educate myself as much as I could. So, you know, I was reading all the Dragon's Den books and like, you know, I mean, I read as many entrepreneurial books as I could. So from a profitable standpoint, I knew that because I owned a business, it needed to check that box. But then I had this misconception that, hey... I'm in the fitness industry. I'm basically a personal trainer, you know, a fitness trainer. And I did not know many success stories in my own experience. So I had nothing to compare of like what was the top cheese kind of goal to aim for. So not having that context, I think there was a definite disconnect between the two. It's like I knew I had to do this thing, but I didn't know how. And I always told my mentor at the time, like, I remember the first day I told her what my perfect day was, which was to live in Arizona, to buy property and live in Arizona. Cause like you mentioned, snow and cold here. Uh, <laughs> and she was like, okay, let's make that happen. Like, and I was just like in disbelief that she just said it so effortlessly. And I'm like, are you for real? And she's like, yeah, like this happens all the time. And so, you know, somebody else just kind of breathing some life into that helped me make the connection that, yeah, if you have the right steps, you do the right things, you implement the right you know, processes, there's no reason why you can't get where you're supposed to go, you know, despite whatever your title is or what industry you're in, all of that. Like it's, it's totally having the right steps, having the right people in your corner and executing on what you're supposed to do. But achieving that personal goal, that is not in conflict with helping other people in your community get healthy and fit. And I think this is fresh in my mind because just this morning, somebody told me in my Facebook chats that it was in conflict, that a fitness wow. trainer should be happy to earn $250 per week. This was directly from her and uh, anything more was just selfish and she wasn't in this to become a millionaire. She was in this to help her clients. Can you address that feeling yeah. of, you know, whole, or, or maybe the dichotomy of holding kind of these two thoughts in your head at the same time? Listen, your business needs to be profitable because it needs to serve you for what you need the business to do for you, right? Like we need it to provide for our livelihood, for our family, for whatever it might be. Because if we don't, you know, you risk burnout, frustration, exhaustion, resentment towards your your business. And like none of that is fun and none of that stacks for a positive like a, a positive ROI on what the time and energy and effort you're putting into your business. If you don't take care of putting your business in a better position, taking out what you need from it to fund your life, your the things that you need, you're not going to be there to be in a position to help those people. And so this dichotomy of I want to help these people solve these problems in whatever industry you're in, like you have to be there and able to be able to do that. And so I think it was you that had referenced this story a long time ago about the pilot of the airplane. And Mm -hmm. if there's only one sandwich left on the airplane and it's this really long airplane ride, like the pilot should be the one that eats because they're the only one that knows how to fly the ship, right? Or fly the airplane. And you in your business are exactly the same thing. And so if you don't take care of that stuff, this opportunity that you have, this platform that you have to help other people just simply would not exist you know, in due time. 
Did you always feel that way? I mean, I certainly didn't. I, I had to mature quite a bit to get over that. But when you started your business, did you have the expectation that eventually you'd become successful enough to buy the place in Arizona? Or was it just kind of like a, a mission of love and self-sacrifice? 1000% it was a pipe dream. Yeah. like, And I'll be mm. the first one to be honest about that. Um, I think a lot of us are just so passionate with our craft and we don't understand how to actually have CEO skills and and fill that role within our business. We're just out there doing what we love and serving the people and we're happy to take the pay cut, the sacrifices, the time away from our family and all of that stuff just because we so much love what we do. Yeah, that's a maturity thing. That's That's having money and then being taught what to do with it. You know, there's time, experience, all of those variables go into it. But honestly, that can be expedited by having the right people in your corner showing you what to do. So obviously the changes weren't just tactical. Uh, you know, it sounds like, like me, there were a lot of mental changes that had to happen too. At what point did you start mentoring other people? What was the transition from successful owner to mentor? So I had quite a fast success story within my own gym. I think being in a coaching position my entire life in anything that I have ever done, you know, sports, in the gym, everything, the next logical step for me was I had such an amazing experience. I have seen what the other side of the fence looks like. And there's nothing more that I wanted to do was turn around and help others in the same position, provide that belief for them to show them the pathway, to show them the possibilities that they just can't see and, you know, maybe don't want to see right now, Hmm. you know? And so the next logical step was stepping into mentorship for gym owners. And so obviously I became a mentor for two brain, you know, for a period of time and working with 50 to a hundred gym owners or, you know, more all over (laughs) around the world is such a rewarding experience as the next logical step in that sequence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes me very happy. (laughs) Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, you founded your own mentorship practice and that's perfect day business mentoring. And and that's really what we're here to talk about today. So tell me about uh, PDBM. What does it do? Who does it serve, et cetera? So I I think I want to, one of the questions I get right off the start all the time is like, you came from the gym industry. What do you know about mentoring other businesses that are not fitness related? Yeah. And fair question. So I think kind of like how PDBM evolved is a really important detail. You know, I was, my father got sick with uh, brain cancer and I was sitting in a coffee shop while he was having surgery actually. And watching these people, I had sat in this coffee shop every day, several times a day for 47 days. So I had quite an observation on this one particular coffee shop, you know, and the more that you sit there, the more you're like, if they would just xyz if they would just do this if they would just this it would be such a better (laughs) operational standpoint from the outside and i don't know about you but i catch myself doing that in almost every business i enter and as frustrating of an experience as that is because i just want to be a consumer sometimes there's always this like oh if only they would just do this they would just do this and it was a very um just like awakening moment for myself that hey the things that made the gym successful and the things that I now teach others, other gyms to be successful with, these things actually carry over into all the service industry, the service-based businesses, no matter where in the industry you are. And it was at that point, you and I started a conversation about that, that like, yeah, it's, you know, if we want to add more customers into this business, the strategies are, are pretty much exactly the same. The only thing that changes is the application. And that can be put together 
you know, me and the business owner putting our heads together for the the actual like tactical application of it. But the context is the same. The principles are the same. So that's where PDBM actually kind of was like evolved from was this moment in this coffee shop where I was like, I want to help more than just gym owners that mm. I know that there are many service-based businesses within my small town that could definitely utilize some help, you know, being in a small town and not having exposure to mentorship within our city, you know, all it would take is someone just, you know, stepping in and saying, Hey, make this small tweak here, this small tweak here. And that could be life-changing for them, you know? So that's kind of where PDBM came from and it has evolved into, you know, I help frustrated and exhausted small business owners earn more and work less. That's what I want to help them do at the end of the day. Earn more money, work a little less, get to your perfect day. Stay in business. Yeah, I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to dive into some ex- examples here, but something just hit me. Like when most entrepreneurs are sitting in that coffee shop where you were, their thought is I could do this better. Therefore, I must open a coffee shop in the next 12 months. Does mentoring different businesses save you from that temptation or does that temptation even exist in your head? That's a funny question. Only from a coffee shop perspective. I would love to open a coffee shop. I just do not want to work in my coffee shop. <laughs> but that's just because I'm a coffee nerd, so that doesn't count. But absolutely not. I I am very passionate about helping others, watching other people win, helping them win. And so mentorship is a pathway for me to do that and achieve that. So yeah, I don't want to open these businesses. I would rather just help them grow. <laughs> I, I once told a friend of mine that I was I was going to be opening a coffee shop next. And he said, you know, there are only two things that you're actually interested in, fitness and coffee. Why do you want to ruin the second thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why, why do you want to ruin your other <laughs> hobby? Why don't you open a bike store so you can hate that too, you know? All right. So, so Taryn, let's talk first about like, can you just give me a few examples, half a dozen of, of companies that you've worked with? And then I'm going to ask you some specific questions about how you've helped them. Yeah, so um, service and service-based businesses across the world, really. I've worked with HVAC companies, meal prep companies, coffee shops, you know, <laughs> florists, uh, wedding planners, physiotherapists, massage therapists, the whole nine yards, all over the spectrum. Basically, if they are a service-based business, they fit within that realm. I'd really love to hear about wedding planner because I I really don't even understand that job. So talk to me about how do you, uh, what are the biggest challenges that like a wedding planner faces and how do you help them grow their business? You know, I, I, you asked that question specific to the business, but most of these struggling small business owners, they struggle with like three things. They're not making enough money. They don't mm-hmm. have enough clients coming in the door. And if they did both of those things and they still didn't know how to sell their services, it wouldn't matter. So Honestly, the wedding planning industry is such a high ticket market. Like it's Mm. a very high price service because there's a lot that you can get from it. So for them, it was struggling to sell their service. So in terms of like creating a clear offer, knowing what they needed to do and then teaching them the the selling confidence in order to be able to actually sell a $5,000, $6,000 package was like one of the biggest distinctions that they could make. But there's actually really other cool things that they implemented just to like build the stability of their company. So in terms of getting more customers into their business, you know, obviously their website was very important that 
it directed to a very specific call to action, which I need that needed to be quick and very visible. So something as simple as like book a consultation so that they could then talk to this person to qualify them appropriately. Mm. You know, simple things. The consultation was a really big change for them just to have this conversation to really figure out what that bride wanted and then show them just how they could take all of the decisions off their table and map out what pipeline they best fit in to solve those problems essentially for that bride. Something really cool they offered was uh, wedding themed or, or sorry, um, like just themed weddings it was yeah. like, here's color options, planning on a budget, do it yourself, like all just just different kinds of themes. And that was like something that really took off for them, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Here's a story I don't often share. The uh, DJ at my wedding had uh, done another wedding the night before. And the theme of that wedding was Disney movies. And he forgot all of his music for my wedding. And so the theme of my wedding reception was Disney movies. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how Robin made it through that without stabbing anyone, but um, <laughs> so the quality control is also a factor in wedding planners. You know, let let's talk about the coffee shop since we brought that example up already. Like, I'm so curious, how did you help the coffee shop improve or grow their business or help the entrepreneur? So, one of the easiest things, and this is maybe more specific to the food industry, and we all know this. You go to McDonald's or whatever, is just upselling, right? Is like somebody comes in, buys a cup of coffee. They may not say that they want a baked good or, you know, whatever else is on your menu. Just either adding more things into the coffee that you charge for, or even just, hey, do you want to pair this with a Nanaimo bar? Because this is actually a really great combination yes, with the type of coffee that you have. So, a, the belief that it's okay to ask the customers to do this was like the first barrier to overcome the ability for the owner to then go out and try it and see a positive ROI from it, but then also to teach it to all the employees who have their own projections about sales and stuff like that. So that was a really small tweak that increased the amount of revenue or as we would say, like the, the valuable customers coming through the door, like it made them more valuable just because they might've come in for a $3 coffee, but it turned into a six or a $7 transaction just by asking a simple question. And that makes a big difference. It's an amazing example because I texted you right before we hopped on that the cafe in this building, Chef Mary is making cinnamon buns this morning. And I had to close like three doors between the cafe and this <laughs> office so I could stay focused on what we're about here. I mean, you've been here, you know what happens. I was gonna, we should have done this podcast in person so we could have some of those cinnamon buns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next time for sure. So Taryn, um, this, this is so fun for me just hearing like, you know, what you do with different entrepreneurs. And if there's other entrepreneurs right now listening to this, I hope you pull over to the side of the road before you start jotting down notes. So what I'm going to do here, Taryn, is I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Okay. Oh boy. If, if you're up for this, and I know you are because uh, you're an athlete and you're a competitor, I'm going to give you mm, three different types of businesses. And I'm going to ask you, how would you get more clients, uh, keep those clients longer or get them coming back more often and increase the value of each one of those clients? Let's go. Is that cool? All right. I knew you'd be Let's down go. for this. Okay. So I'm making a little list here. I'm going to start with the wedding planner, okay? So this is my softball pitch to you because you have mentioned the wedding planner before. How do you get the wedding planner more clients, increase the value of each client, and here's the hard one, uh, get each client coming back for more? 
Yeah. So, um, getting more clients could be something as simple as just showcasing more testimonials or, uh, client success stories that they had done mm. in the past. That's really great because social proof sells making them more valuable was really about the consultation process so that they could best solve the problem that the bride had or expose more problems that the bride maybe didn't necessarily see as the wedding planner has more experience in that regard. So she was able to upsell a lot of her services mm. and then keeping them around longer or keeping them coming back. It was more about what happened in between from the moment the the bride reached out to the point of which the wedding was done was we created a membership based option where they create, they have like monthly access to them for other services or more touch points in person. And wow. so they paid a recurring subscription price all the way through. There were also post wedding uh, strategies that they had implemented in order to keep talk, like keep getting in front of that bride or, or the couple, I guess and creating other upselling opportunities on the back end after it was like, Hey, we did this video for you. How about we cut it up into short chunks and we'll give you social packages that you can now implement. So that was a really uh, neat strategy. I like that a lot. I was afraid you were going to say, let us help you with your second and third wedding. <laughs> I mean, Hey, that client testimonial is good. That <laughs> is a one life in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lifetime uh, engagement, right? Yeah. Uh, seven years in your CRM automatically sends them a message. Like you have reached the, uh, what do they call that? The seven year itch or something. How you feeling? Uh, you know, have you checked out our new dating site? Are you happy with your decisions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's go to physiotherapists. So this is kind of an adjacent type of business to what you and I are familiar with, but I know a lot of physiotherapists in my town who are f friends of mine. I, I really like all these people. They got into fitness and health and, you know, rehab for the same reasons that I did, but a lot of them are struggling. And even at 70 years old, they're still working in your clinic. So what advice um, do you have for physiotherapists to grow their business, increase client value and keep the clients around longer without re-injuring them? Yeah. So to get more clients, one of the best things that we've done with, and I work with numerous physiotherapists, a referral processes are really big mm -hmm. for them. B partnering up with um, things like gyms or whatever their ideal type of client avatar is, that's where we need to create a really important partnership. So there is a, a referral system back and forth. Um, so the gym industry has been really good for the avatar physiotherapists that I work with. And then creating a container for those people so that they can be continuously nurtured and shown the expertise that these physiotherapists have. So something as simple like a Facebook group where these physios are contributing a ton of free help and knowledge is really beneficial to keep them front and center to create new clients out of this container of people. Increasing the value of those people coming through. So A, they're... It's interesting because I like I came from this background as an athletic therapist, so I know what the clinical aspect of it looks like. And it was always the client comes in, pays for a consultation or their initial assessment, and then they continue paying one by one for every service thereafter. So we created a free consultation at the beginning, and it's just a short like, you know, they don't do the whole whole nine yards that a typical initial assessment would be, but just a quick way to show some value right off the start and also to lay the, the roadmap for that client, which then led into an Ascension model for that physiotherapist to implement with their clients. So it was like in this part of their acute injury, this is how many sessions you're going to have. And it just showed the whole roadmap for 
their entire rehabilitation process. That has been incredibly beneficial for these physiotherapists just for making them uh, the clients more valuable because they stick around longer. You know, if you leave it to the client to rebook, chances are they're going to disappear after two or three, uh, se- uh, two or three sessions. But by showing them the roadmap and really getting them to buy in that, that the length of engagement on there or how long they stuck around, you know, tripled in some cases because they were, they were there for a longer period of time. It probably solves the client's problem more fully too, I would guess. I'm I'm thinking of my father-in-law who goes to the chiropractor once every three weeks. I mean, that's not helping him and it's not helping the chiropractor either. Yeah. And just helping them understand that like it's not a one-time thing, you know, which is, and there will be the battle with insurance as, you know, the clients come in and want to pay their sessions with their insurance. And when insurance is up, they don't want to come back. But being able to navigate that and build sort of like, other pathways to navigate that is another way like that's a barrier that you can anticipate but you can also anticipate a solution for that also and so that for the physiotherapist that we work with just understanding how a client behaves through their process like that was really important for them to build in resistance pieces to help them move through that easier Uh, which then brings me to the getting them to rebook and simple things like that because you know, you can't book 10 sessions all in a row. You have to, that's just the the way the College of Physiotherapy works, at least in Canada. So having a client success manager or an admin or somebody that's sitting at the front desk that's responsible for client-directed things and being on top of making sure that person is rebooked, the reminders, the follow-ups after there, the check-ins along the way, like all of those additional steps that most physiotherapists are not doing. And that makes a difference with the clients when they feel like they're really being taken care of and heard and seen, you know, which is important to a consumer in that regard. My dentist just actually hired a person to do that. And um, she has her practice has 3000 clients, which is double wow. the average dental practice yep. size. And the, the one person while I'm there is just calling clients and saying, hey, I know you're not scheduled until January. I've got an opening next week. Do you want to come in? And so people wind up coming in maybe once extra every year and it makes a big difference. So I'm just going to tag on that one last thing. It's like, you're telling me to pick up the phone and call people. Like it seems like such a common sense tactic, but people won't do things unless you tell them exactly what they need to do. Like both from the business to the consumer aspect, you know, it's like, I'm not going to call the dentist. I don't want to go to the dentist, but if the dentist phones me and says that, then I'm probably going to listen, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, to my benefit if I do go. So how important is it for in the physio uh, space? I'm noticing more and more of the local physios kind of have a a bit of a niche, even if it wasn't done intentionally. So for example, a kid gets a concussion at a hockey game. You want to go see Austin. He's the real specialist in concussion. Oh, you, you know, have an Achilles tendon problem. She is the running physio. How often does that happen? And should physios be more intentional about it? I think they should definitely be more intentional about who they can best serve because that will help them nail down their marketing and their messaging. A lot of the physios that I work with want to be a six page menu of services for everybody and every, you know, anyone and everyone. But then you, you have, let's say your marketing is all about sports specific stuff. You talk about working with the hockey teams and you talk about these football kids that are in working with you. And you want to get more older people who are just having hip replacement surgeries. Well, they're probably not going to respond to hockey 
pictures going by, you know, not thinking that you can best serve me. So if you can really nail down who you best serve and sort of what avenue of that rehabilitative process you're best at, then that will just clarify that clarifies your messaging. It clarifies your offer. It can clarify everything along that entire process. And then you're directly talking to people who are looking for you and want to be in that space. Right. So they're more likely to uh, grab more clients just because everything is so concentrated on that particular niche. I think a lot of physios, like a lot of fitness trainers just say, oh, I want to serve everybody because I don't want to exclude a potential client. You know, my uh, in-laws work with a physiotherapist who specializes in the elderly. And this person comes to their house to do their exercises, but they don't charge more than... Oh boy. Yeah, which they should because, you know, it takes 25 minutes. The roads are bad today. 25 minutes to get back and you are only getting paid for that session. So uh, how does niching down affect the pricing or the service that the physios offer? I mean, you can, like, we all know that we're good at what we do. So you're yeah. not, you're not differentiating yourself by that. Right. But if you're the go-to person for concussion stuff, then that gives you leverage and leverage is value is valuable to you as a business owner. Right. I use this example very specifically because one of the very first clients I had, uh, she wanted to be the she want her goal was to go to the Olympics as a physiotherapist. But wow. we live in a town of 15,000 people with a senior population that is, you know, 70% of our population. So it made sense that if she wanted to grow her business, she had to she had to change like that marketing and maybe not necessarily her goal, but the business model, you know. So really refining that down was like the intensity on the type of niche she needed to do. And it just goes back to our earlier conversation. We're experts at our craft and this is different. This is business skills, understanding how to grow your business, right? Yeah. And, I, and I, remember. Physio, I mean, as a physiotherapist, the treatment for an ankle sprain is the treatment for an ankle sprain, whether you're 70 years old or you're a 16 year old hockey player. So that's how they objectively look at it. Right. And that's just being a master of your craft. Yeah. I think the, the trap that people get into is they think that being the best in town at their craft is going to make them have the, you know, the most successful business. And that's just not true. So the next one I'm really interested in this is florist. Now, a lot of people think that a, a flower shop is a product company, but it's actually a service. So how do you help them grow their company, Taryn, or get more clients or keep more clients longer? So I, this is one of my favorite businesses because it's just not conventionally done in this manner. And so to see a business flourish, that's kind of funny. Flourish, flourish. Yeah. No pun nice intended. One. Well done. Um, in this manner is was such a cool and rewarding experience to help this business owner. So something as simple as getting more customers in the door was cold calling businesses and really focusing on businesses. Because you and I both know as a business owner, the last thing I want to think about is like what holiday it is. And oh, it's receptionist day. Like I'm, you know, I love my admin. I love my client success manager, but like and keeping track of the calendar is just not something I'm great at. And so if that could be something that was automated for me, that was immensely beneficial. So just like cold calling businesses and saying, hey, we want to do this thing. Do you want help with this thing? And I mean, nine times out of 10, the answer was yes, because it just made sense. One of the best ways to make those clients more valuable was just simply creating a service of like classes. Hey, hmm. it's Christmas. 
we're going to learn how to make Christmas planters or it's Valentine's day. So we're going to do like something rose themed and it's summer. So we're going to make like hanging pots and all, you know, just like getting people in your doors in a class aspect, teaching them something practical about what they can actually do with the products that they're buying from the florist. And then again, making them more valuable by upselling things like bows for your wreath and, you know, all the little gadgets and gadgets that you can add to these arrangements was just something that could like skyrocket the business because a traditional florist is walk in, buy flowers and leave, you know, and now you get to actually participate and learn and it just makes people more invested in your business, which helps on the back end when they have a funeral and they want to buy flowers for the people. So your front and center mind that I'm going to go there and grab flowers because I was just there last week doing a wreath arrangement thing. Yeah. Keeping them around longer was more just like, phoning up all the customers. Hey, it's Valentine's day. Can I take care of a dozen roses to somebody special? And, you know, being the one that initiates that conversation was really important because again, people just aren't thinking about that. And if you can automate that and make it easier, nine times out of 10, they're going to, they're going to buy. So maybe going back to that first example, and maybe it's the same as that, that last example that you gave of automating it. When they call a business, are they saying, we're going to set you up on like a, a schedule or a, a calendar or something like that? Yeah. And it became a recurring membership series for both just regular customers, but especially businesses as well. It's this many dollars per month and we will take care of all the holidays and birthdays. You just provide us with a list of who and where and when, and we'll take care of it from here on there. And which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a florist in Sault Ste. Marie listening to this, um, <laughs> DM me on Facebook. I mean, just the, the ability to give somebody a list of names and dates and say flowers go. Yep. <laughs> I mean it's it's amazing, right? And you know, set it up and and it's not that you forget it. My problem is that you don't think about it until it's almost too late. And yeah, I mean you people really want this stuff. So I think that could actually apply to a number of different businesses too where it's just you you set something up like a membership and they solve your problem for you. And in this case the problem is sending flowers, but it could also apply to other companies too, right? pharmacies. I mean, I had one for my dog. It was a, a box subscription of treats and toys and stuff so that I never had to go out and grab a new bag of treats. It was always taken care of. And you know, that's exciting to receive in the mail. So something simple as a membership series can actually solve a lot of problems in a lot of small, small service-based businesses for sure. That's what I love most about the idea is that Amazon does this, but you yep. could be the the local coffee shop and still do it. Like send yep. somebody a bag of coffee every month on a subscription. It's it's really not complicated. Or yep. is it, Taryn? I mean, I, I don't know, but I don't think it is. I just think it's it's not conventional, so it's not front of mind and center when you're thinking of strategies of ways to grow your business, right? Coffee yeah. shop is like how do I get more people in the door, not how do I create a membership series because it's just not something that's done in coffee shops, you know? Yeah, and, and honestly, like speaking to my dentist, she she asks me business questions at every single visit, and one of the things that I tell her is get fewer clients, but yep. hold one one calendar spot open twice a week for people with an emergency who are willing to pay cash, and and yep. uh, obviously they'll pay above the going rate, etc. But there are, there are a lot of different ways, and we we could spend all day on this. We talk about it all the time, Taryn. If somebody wants to talk to you about growing their business, getting more customers, increasing customer value, or just improving their own perfect day, where do they get a hold of you? Best place is the website, perfectdaybusinessmentorship.com. Uh, just book a call right there on the, the main page. 
you can follow our socials, Perfect Day Business Mentorship on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all over. And then I also have a podcast called the CEO Clubhouse and a free Facebook group where you can join called the CEO Clubhouse. You can join there. There's all kinds of free resources being pumped in there because I want nothing more than to help get you started making money and growing business so that you can eventually afford uh, business mentorship and we can hang out and do cool things together and grow your business. So CEO Clubhouse, that's the best place to find me. Okay. I'll post a link to that in the show notes here. Maybe before we sign off, you can just give us like the one minute version of what is the perfect day concept? Like what are we striving for here? The perfect day concept is, and everybody's perfect day is going to look different. It's building your business in such a manner so that it can provide you freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of of uh, brain powers, what I call it, so that you can move on to the next part of your life and your business is there funding whatever it is that you need to be doing. So for me, it was buying property in Arizona so I could work from Arizona and run my businesses or whatever it is that I wanted to do from my poolside instead of six feet of snow and minus 40 degrees. Well, So whatever you need your business to do to give you freedom of time and money and space, that's your perfect day. Fantastic. Taryn DeBrille, Perfect Day Business Mentoring. Thanks for coming on, T. Thanks for having me, Coop. Thanks for listening to Business is Good. If you'd like to chat about this episode or the blog posts or podcasts that I put on the Business is Good site, just go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there.